Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast, gathering evidence from the literature. I'm your host, Mike Pratz, and today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special treat. Michael Gottlieb is with us today. Mike is the Ultrasound Division Director and Fellowship Director at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. Mike, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yes, I am very excited for you to share in your knowledge and wisdom with us. Here's what we're going to cover today. This is a special edition where we're going to be focusing on ultrasound research itself. And who better to walk us through that than Mike? So we're going to go through what makes good research. How do you get your research published? How do you review and critically appraise literature? And also Mike is going to throw in some other pearls and pitfalls that he has learned through his experience. So Mike, to start, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your involvement in some of these things like ultrasound research? And, you know, if you want, I would love if you threw in a little fact that many people don't know about you. Yeah, so I completed my EM residency at Cook County. I went through Old Sound Fellowship training at the combined Rush Cook County Ultrasound Fellowship and joined faculty at Rush at the start of the program about four years ago. I am the Old Sound Division Director at Rush as well as our Ultrasound Fellowship Director. I'm a pretty active researcher. Most of my research has involved musculoskeletal and intubation related applications, but I think some of the fun of being an EM doc is that I get to stretch out beyond there, and if I find something else interesting, I will study that as well. I published just over 200 papers in the past four years. I currently serve as an editor for five journals and a peer reviewer for 30. And that said, I'm not classically trained in research, but I did learn a lot by trial and error, and I was fortunate to have a lot of really amazing mentors along the way. And I'm really hoping to share some of those lessons with you so that you can learn some from, from some of my mistakes. Wow. Mike, it sounds like you've been pretty busy over the last couple of years. That is very impressive. Now I am more confident that you are the perfect person to talk to us about these things. So let's start with some basics. Is there anything that you think makes point-of-care ultrasound research different from other areas of research? So I think of research kind of like an onion. You can peel back those layers of complexity. And so for each study, you can start to look at piece by piece what components you can analyze. For example, if I'm looking at an ultrasound study, I can look at the sonographer experience level. Is it an expert or a fellowship trained provider going to be able to achieve this as well as the average ultrasound trained provider or a novice, maybe a medical student who's just learning ultrasound? I can look at the patient type is this as accurate in adults versus pediatric patients in patients who have larger or smaller body mass indices? I can look at different outcomes. I can look at diagnostic accuracy versus time to completion versus changes in management. And while that is a general principle of research, that is particularly relevant in point-of-care ultrasound where there are so many ultrasound-specific components that really need to be analyzed at the provider level. The other thing that I really enjoy about ultrasound-related research is that it intersects so well with so many other fields. It really provides the opportunity to collaborate with different areas, whether it be assessing the ability to perform a study in different fields. For example, am I as accurate as an EM provider as, for example, a critical care provider or internal medicine provider who may have undergone different levels of training? 
can we apply this skill set in another arena? And again, I think that's a really great way for us to collaborate with our colleagues and really expand point of care ultrasound beyond just the ED. Those are really great points, Mike. I like how you said that, the different layers of studies, because performing a point of care ultrasound is a lot of different things that we're doing at once, right? We're doing the actual acquisition skills, moving our hands over the patient's body with the transducer, and then we have to interpret those images, and then we need to know what to do next with our interpretation. So I see how every little level actually is something that could change throughout different studies, and you have to address all those things when you're reading those studies. That makes a lot of sense. Now, some of you have probably heard me talk about evidence-based synology before. That's a term that we came up with that is like evidence-based medicine, but I think we need to make sure that we're holding point-of-care ultrasound to the same level that we do other areas of medicine. Because, Mike, you kind of touched on this. There's a lot of overlap with other areas of research, but I think that some people, perhaps because ultrasound is, is newer or more novel, don't force it to adhere to the same standards that we do with other research. And that's what evidence-based synology is all about. And that's a lot of what this podcast is about, making sure that we are trying to practice in the best way by the evidence to benefit our patients. Now let's get into some good research. How would you describe what quote-unquote good ultrasound research is in general? Well, I think good is subjective. Anytime you're doing a study, you want to do the best research you can within the confines of what you have. We can't all do a giant, grant-funded, multi-center, randomized clinical trial for every single idea we have. It's not, unfortunately, feasible. And so you have to be conscious of those limitations and try to do the best you can with them. I try to identify the limitations early. I would address what you can. Make sure you follow best practices, as you mentioned, with your evidence-based synology. And accept what you can't change. Every study will have limitations, and you need to do your best to try to balance and address as many as you're able to. The field is advancing, and I agree 100% we need to hold it to the same standard of practice that we do for other forms of research. Case reports used to be much more common in point-of-care ultrasound, whereas now they are much less common because we are studying these applications, and I think that's incumbent upon us to not just accept something at case report value and push ourselves to assess, is this actually extrapolatable in other capacities? That said, there are also opportunities in point-of-care ultrasound to really assess for novel applications. There still remain opportunities for case reports and case series to describe this, but we really need to push ourselves beyond that to identify the subsequent evidence. And some of the early trials and pilot data will just not be strong enough to be published in a top-tier journal. However, it still needs to get out there so that it can inform future trials so that we can push ourselves to really understand this at a high level of evidence. So now that we've set that standard, which, as you know, is a moving target, it goes without saying that having these good ideas, designing a study well, and being able to collect some meaningful data are helpful steps. But what else is helpful in actually performing this ultrasound research? So the first is idea generation. The more ideas, the better. You have to have a system for tracking your ideas in the moment. Oftentimes you'll be on shift and you'll think about something. And the problem is if you try to recall it later after your shift, the likelihood that you'll actually recall it or be able to recall it in a meaningful level of detail is very low. So you have to build some system. For me, I just put it into my phone. As soon as I have an idea, 
I'll either type it out or use the talk to text feature and just let myself lay out every piece of that idea in the moment. Then I can come back, I can reflect on it, I can refine it, but I have that idea and I'm able to build on that later. Sometimes that idea leads to a successful project. Other times I, that project isn't feasible. However, the impetus for this, the cause that made me think of this may lead to a successful project. Along those lines, also just reading through the literature, seeing what's out there and paying particular attention to the limitations section, seeing what other authors have been able to address and what they wish they could have addressed may lead to future research. Now, when you're starting a project, you wanna make sure you do a good literature search. Identify the gaps, make sure to avoid duplicating others' works unless you're going to significantly add to that. So you might externally validate this, you might look in a different population or a different type of learner, but you need to make sure that it's adding upon the existing literature. Anytime I have a study, I always run it through the FINER criteria, that's F-I-N-E-R, it stands for feasible, interesting, novel, ethical, and relevant. And I run through it piece by piece. Is the study feasible? While I may want to study this, if my institution doesn't have research assistance, I probably can't enroll 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if I want to have some semblance of work-life balance. Is it interesting? Does it matter to people beyond me? You want to vet this with other people who are particularly either not in your niche or not even ultrasound fellowship trained providers to see if this actually matters to people outside of your arena. Is it novel? That again ties back to that literature search, making sure that you know what's out there. Is it ethical? And ethical becomes a little tricky. The obvious ethical one we consider is patience. Is this ethical to patience? And we have to consider both the impact of this as well as the impact of potentially false positives or unnecessary testing. But the other arena is learners. A lot of ultrasound studies look at ultrasound education, and we need to make sure that we're being ethical with learners. So if you're randomizing, for example, residents to one group that will receive fast ultrasound training and another that will not receive any training to see if that has an impact on how well they learn, you have a whole cohort who will not be trained in fast. Now, while this is a pretty obvious example, we need to be conscious of any time we intervene with some education that we need to even this out by providing some opportunity for the other cohort to still learn this, app, this application. And then finally, is it relevant? Does this actually inform the field at this time? Now, whenever I'm doing a study, after I've run through the finer criteria and I've designed my study, you want to make sure that you're following best practices. And there's a website called Equator Network. And this will actually lay out study design by study design, what are the best practice recommendations? And so that can be a really valuable resource to go through that checklist, both because most journals will expect that you follow these checklists, but also from a study design standpoint to make sure you're including all of the key features and you're being cognizant of that from the onset. When I'm running a study, I always try to check in with people at the beginning, identify timelines, identify what their schedules look like to make sure this is feasible with their timing. I identify clear and distinct roles so that every single person has a clear targeted role within the study. And then I provide them guidance. I don't micromanage, that's not helpful. People don't wanna be micromanaged, but they need to know what you expect. So I lay out expectations and I give them examples, preferably from prior projects so they can see what I'm looking for without requiring them to be exactly the same way. We get to the same end goal, but they can get there whichever way works best for them. And then finally, when you're writing up the manuscript, 
try to write the study at the same time you do the IRB. We often envision ultrasound research in, we often envision research in this strata where you follow study design, submit to IRB, run the study, then write the abstract. Then after you presented the abstract, roughly six to eight months later, you now write the paper. And the problem is that requires you to continually repeat the same process of this literature search. To continually repeat thinking through the processes of these, which is in the first place, not very time efficient. But the underlying piece of this is when you think about your projects, your area of maximal excitement, the area where you are the most enthusiastic about your project is at the beginning. Everything after that goes downhill. So rather than getting really excited, putting into IRB and forgetting about it, utilize that time of maximal enthusiasm to write up your paper. You already have most of it, and if you think through the paper, the introduction is your literature search, the methods is your IRB, the result is mostly what you predict to put in there with asterisks for actual data, and the discussion is your hypothesis. So most of the time when we're working on a project, we write out the discussion based upon our hypothesis, and if something changes, then we modify it. And that allows us to really be able to approach the manuscript writing stage later on with very minimal effort, and then it's very easy to complete the project. Mike, you are a fountain of wisdom. Let me go through some of the many pearls you dropped and see if I can reiterate some of those things. So the first thing I heard was that you really want to immerse yourself in ideas, put yourself in a position where you can be inspired to research. And then when you have those ideas, make sure you have some sort of mechanism to capture them so they don't get away. You advocate for using the existing research guidelines when you're designing your research early on and the finer criteria I love those as well always a good checklist to run through and make sure that what you're doing is actually meaningful and then I love your pearls for communicating with your team and working your the steps of your project in parallel because there's a lot of efficiency potential when you do that on the topic of some of the best practice guidelines, there was actually just a new study that was published in May 2020 in JAMA Open that was the adherence to the STARD guidelines. That's the standards for reporting diagnostic accuracy uh, in POCUS research. So, you know, the type of research that we're talking about. And what they found was that there was about a 66% Uh, adherence to those guidelines in the manuscripts that they reviewed in this study. So I think that tells me there's still room for improvement. We would like everybody who's doing this research to adhere to those guidelines. And we know sometimes that's challenging and it's hard. And if you're doing an unfunded study, that's a lot of extra work. So it's not always feasible, but I think to know about them and to reference them is uh, a good start. So Mike, here we are. Now we have designed and we have our perfect study. So What do we do with that study? What are your pointers so how we can get this study to a platform where other people can read our work? So that's a great question. In general, picking a journal can be challenging. The first step is just get familiar with the literature. Start reading through it, seeing what studies are actually in these journals. If you're not familiar with a topic and you're not sure what journal will be best for it, ask your more experienced colleagues. See what they think. Often as a starting point, I'll look through the list of journals in a given topic and I'll sort them by the impact factor. There's a website called SJR, 
which is the Shimago Journal Rankings. Um, and if you look through there, they'll actually sort the journals by their impact factors so you can get a sense of the overall rankings of the different journals. And then as you start to look through the different journals, you can identify which might be a better fit for your topic. You want to make sure that when you're submitting, you follow the author guidelines. They have them up there, and it's often apparent as an editor when someone hasn't read through them. And it just, it's a, it's less ideal. It's, it's like saying, we don't care enough to check. because it's important that it aligns with what the journal expects the reviewers the editors are going to want to follow in the structure that you've laid it out and it shows that you've taken the time to align with their specific formatting and finally we have to be okay that our first journal may not be the end home for our paper when you put when you put a project out there you want to aim high and that means that your first journal is probably going to be a reach And if it doesn't end up being accepted there, you often get a lot of really valuable feedback to incorporate into it. And then you try your second and your third journal. And you build upon that and you learn along the process and you eventually will find a home. In fact, one of my earlier papers went through six different journals before it finally found a home. And now it's actually one of my most highly cited papers. And each step along the way, I learned from that process. I strengthened the paper I built upon it and it finally found the ideal journal for it. So being okay with the fact that it may take a couple of journals to find its home. All right. Well, I think that is enough for one podcast. There is so much information in there. I want to give you some time to digest it. Listen again if you need to, because Mike is just filled with this delectable knowledge about ultrasound research. So that's it for today, but we're going to be releasing part two in a couple of weeks and you can look forward to that. I want to thank Mike for his time so far, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. If you want to find out more, you can go to ultrasoundgel.org, talk to us on Twitter, or check out our Facebook page. We would be more than happy to talk to you. So until then, we'll talk to you later. More. 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 Ultrasound Gel Podcast.